Good morning, and welcome to Diversions, another great day in Colorado. I'll be your host. My name is Mark Catlin here on 580 AM KUBC. You know, uh, let's talk about the people who keep us on the air rather than who put us on the air. Producers Co-op here in Montrose and Olathe, you know right where they're at down here on Main Street. You know, if you need something for your agri operation, no matter how big it is or how small, they've got what you need. You know, they've got fuel, fuel fertilizer, seed, tires, whatever it is that you need. When you walk through the door, the first question is, can I help you? They mean that. So after you've found it, they'll put it in your outfit, in your pickup, or deliver it out to your outfit, no matter how big it is. So if you're a backyard farmer, go by and see them. They really do have what you're going to need. And if you're a big operator from the top of the hill, clear down here to the, to the valley, they've got everything that you might want. Producers Co-op, great people taking care of a great place. Turner Automotive, you know, they're the general, the general A, yeah, the General Motors, Chevrolet, and Toyota dealership here in the Uncompahgre Valley. You know, excuse me, I've had a bucket of coffee this morning. But, you know, really, they do have all these new cars out here at the edge of town. I drove through there last night when I got home. Believe me, they've got some nice vehicles out there. And if you're looking for a used one, they've got a great lineup of that, too. But their service department has helped me the most of any place I've ever gone for service. They get me in and out on time. They get me in and out on budget. And believe me, they stand behind their work. Turner Automotive. If you're looking for an automotive, an automobile, they're the ones to go get. His staff, Ron, Ross's staff, will help you buy a car rather than sell you a car. And that's a big deal in this day and age. Leadership Circle. We talk about them every week. But you know, they created that shopping center out, west, out south of Montrose that's really helped us become the shopping center for the western slope of Colorado. They've learned an awful lot of things nationwide and brought them home and put them right here in their hometown. Leadership Circle. Mesa Storage has been storing my treasures ever since I realized they were treasures. Ron and Pam Brown are friends of mine. They take good care of my things. They take care of your things as though they were their things. They've got a fenced and lighted yard, and they're open every day. Every day of the year, you can get to your treasures. That's a big deal in this day and age. You know, we've all got more than we probably need, but we want to get to it. And that's the thing that Ron and Pam do. They keep that place open. It's spick and span. It's secure. They take care of your property just like they take care of their property. Good people, go by and say hello. You'll end up being friends, believe me. Scott's Printing. They've done my printing since I realized I needed to hand out business cards or whatever the image was that I wanted to present. They've helped me present it. Walk through their door and they will sit down at a computer and start drawing up on the graphics what you think you want. They don't tell you what you're going to need or what that's all you can order. That's the difference between them and going to the Internet and trying to buy yourself some cards. These people will help you design it, not just make you pick. That's a big difference in this day and age. If you've got an image that you want to present, Scott's Printing is the place to go. Down here on South 12th, right here at home. Go by and say hello. Thank them for sponsoring this show. We need them. Well, it's, uh, it's going to be a good show this morning. I've got to tell you, I didn't get home till nearly midnight last night. You know, Denver wanted to hang, keep hanging on to me. They wouldn't let us out of committee meetings. They wouldn't let us off the floor. It was a long day. But I'm home, I'm rested, I got an opportunity to look at the San Juans this morning, and believe me, we do live in the best part of the state of Colorado. You know, um, it's, it, it really does remind me why I might go there. It's because of this place and because of these people. And I've got a guy here with me this morning that cares about this place, that cares about you people. And that's Don Coram, your senator from Senate District 6. Good morning, Don Coram. Good morning, Representative Catlin. Good to see you. I, uh, <laughs> that still's not too comfortable. I was, I was home last night uh, down at the, uh, the new event center and uh, told them that you were still working. So, uh, well, you know, that was nice to get out. Uh, I got out about noon and uh, got home, and I think you got home at midnight. So yeah. I just, you know, I gained 12 hours on you yesterday. <laughs> well, so. I get that. How was that event? How did it go? Were there a lot of people? Did it turn out good? It was great. I mean, you, you looked in the building, and it didn't look like there was a lot of people there, but you stepped outside in the parking lot, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was cars and trucks as far as the eye can see. So, well, that uh, as big as that building is, it's going to take a lot of people in there to make it feel like it's full. Well, I, I guess that's true, and I, I think they had a 
event going on there today. They have a monster truck rally or something going on there. And, oh, boy. Uh, you know, uh, that's going to be a loud place, I can assure yeah. you. Yeah, well, you know, I, I ran the fairgrounds in, in Grand Junction, and those monster trucks, boy, they do make a lot of noise, but they are a lot of fun. A lot they of people are a like lot to of watch fun. them. Uh, but, yeah, it was great. Uh, we had uh, Dola was a town, and, uh, you know, they, they helped fund that. And, yeah, uh, that's the Department uh, of Local Affairs. Yep, right. and uh, it was uh, it was great uh, because you and, you and, you've been there long enough in Denver that uh, uh, you people ask you, what is going on in Montrose? <laughs> yeah. And and why is why is that community seem so progressive? And uh, I just say there's, you know, there's three simple things. There's, there's uh, we have attitude, altitude, and uh, get her done uh, philosophy. And, uh, you know, we just, uh, we rely on ourselves and uh, we get it done. So, you know, my, uh, my hat's off to, uh, uh, the former commissioners for really putting this through and and getting it done and uh, and the current commissioners to follow through on it. So uh, I think it's a great community effort. Uh, I know agriculture was certainly there last night. Well, good. In strong support and uh, it was just great to see. Well, you know, I I agree with you. When uh, people ask me about Montrose, I tell them once this little community decides that it wants to do something or have something. Get out of their road because they will get. They will, like you say, get it done, one way or another. They've done some amazing things in this community in the time that I've been aware of it. You know, I mean, the pavilion, all these things that a town our size, no other town has them. Well, we and, and and I think that attitude goes back more than a hundred years. I mean, uh, the yeah. the reason this community is successful is because the community banded together uh, for the creation of the Gunnison Tunnel. That's true. And That's true. had the Gunnison Tunnel not been completed, uh, uh, this community would uh, be very, very small. It would be like some of the little communities you see out on the eastern plains that have dried up and blown away. I think that's right. You know, uh, in the late in the late 1800s and the early 1900s, this community realized that water was going to be the big answer for them. And you know that six-mile-long tunnel that uh, through hard rock and through this adobe clay was an impossibility in a lot of people's minds but the folks that lived here decided no it's not an impossibility i think they probably bugged old teddy roosevelt to the point that he finally just said okay let him try to build it but you know they did get it done and they you know part of that history is that tunnel is one of the reasons there's a bureau of reclamation that the bureau of reclamation was formed at the same time those laws were passed to create the tunnel. So the water users, on Compadre Valley water users, was created with the same piece of legislation that created the Bureau of Reclamation. That's right. And, you know, I was up in Wyoming, up at Pathfinder, and, you know, we had a little arm wrestling contest only as to who was first, us or Pathfinder. <laughs> yeah. But right. they're both amazing projects. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I think we're far head and shoulders above the rest because Pathfinder was basically taking a bunch of, uh, native stone, cutting it and placing it and creating that reservoir. Right. Like you say, this is six miles of uh, of a tunnel built through uh, rather uh, rather harsh conditions. Well, you know, uh, when they started digging it, they on the on the east side over in the Gunnison on the Gunnison River side, they brought in people that were hard rock miners from Rico and those places as those mines were tailing out, and uh, they went to work right there, heading back to the west and on the west side over here we had to bring people in from west virginia and the coal mining country because they knew how to build a crib in other words a roof under up above them so that they could continue to tunnel in fact a lot of those families ended up in the paonia country being the first uh, coal miners yeah and, and you know you you have the little town of of Lujan out east uh, right. at the west uh, at the west portal you know one of my good friends uh, uh, Raymond Hawks uh, went to school at Lujan and I bet 99 out of 100 people in this valley never even heard of Lujan no no unless there's a unless there's a picture of the railroad stop that was there and it was just the one sign evidently that's also where they shipped a lot of Bostwick Park potatoes they brought them down off of Bostwick Park loaded them on trains and shipped them out of this country so it's yeah this is this place is filled with history and and it is that we we need this let's go about finding a way to get her done and get her done and uh, you know this 
this event center, I forget how many, it's what, 93,000 square feet or something. You know, you don't just decide to do that one day. You know, there was a lot of planning, a lot of effort, and like you say, the commissioners, prior commissioners and the current commissioners picked the ball up, ran with it, and I think the community's going to end up being better for it. Well, I think it will uh, certainly be a, a driver for uh, bringing lots of economic development into this area. Uh, you know, I, I'm talking to a gentleman this morning that's working on a hotel, and uh, so, yeah. you know, it's... Well, yeah, you know, give people a place to come, and they will come there, particularly, you know, monster trucks, rodeos, whatever it is they want to put in that building are going to bring people, and those people are going to need a place to stay, place to eat, all the things that go along with, you know, um, entertaining people. Well, you know, I, I had the opportunity to uh, meet the gentleman uh, this winter that work on uh, that owned the American Ninja, and I was telling him about what this, and they said, well, you know, we, we might want to do one of our shows from there. <laughs> well, yeah, you never know. And over here on the Western Slope, it's sometimes you bump into people, and you strike up a conversation with them, and all of a sudden you realize they own the American Ninja show and those kind of things. You know, this place attracts a lot of people. And, um, you know, all we got to do is just be friendly and open neighbors with them, and you never know what's going to happen. Well, I think, uh, I think that's true, and uh, I think, uh, like you say, that has been noticed statewide. I mean, I talk to the folks at DOLA and, and all the other state agencies that uh, come into Montrose, and they why is Montrose different? Why is Montrose different? Well, you know, I think one of the other things is, is that we all realize we're all kind of holding hands. The farmer's holding hands with the downtown merchant. The merchants are holding hands with the school districts and all these kind of things. If it's good for one section of our community, it ends up spreading out being good for the whole community. Absolutely. And now uh, there's still community here. I think that's one of the things people like is that this is still a hometown. That's true. And a and lot of people are looking for a hometown. And now that I've diverted you, let's get back to what we're right, going let's to talk, talk about. about <laughs> let's talk about diversions. Let's talk about water. Let's talk about, before we get too deeply on to some of these other things, I wanted to ask you about how you feel about this year's session, the 2018 session. You feel like we've, you know, I'm still new enough. I don't know for sure if we've got an awful lot of work done. We've done an awful lot of things, but some of them have mattered. Some of them I'm wondering about. Where do you think we're going to go with transportation? You know, I'm concerned about it because I, I'm concerned that uh, it's going to turn into political issues. Uh, Senate Bill 1 uh, came out um, of the House or the Senate, uh, I think, unanimous. Um, I did too. And now it's kind of sitting over in the house and or in kind of waiting and uh frankly i don't know what kind of games are being played but uh uh transportation is essential to to all of colorado and especially rural colorado because uh everything that uh everything that uh, we buy is uh shipped in everything we produce is shipped out yeah. so uh you've got to have that uh farm to market road that you can get there and and uh uh, tourism is huge you know we've got to bring uh, uh we've got to have good roads uh, to bring that in uh, you know our airport is vital to our growth uh in this area so that's one of the transportation issues also that that we need to address well you know i i, I agree with that and i think what happens with the urban legislators they get so down in their trenches that they forget there's the rest of the state out here you know, if it doesn't please them, then, well, we'll block it. But then they sat in their car in a, in a traffic jam wondering what happened. Well, if they don't want to cooperate, nothing gets done. And I, I'm really kind of disturbed with some of our urban legislators. They'd really like to have all that money just for them, and they don't seem to believe that the, that the rest of the state is what's driving the state. And the, it's their... their their commute back and forth to home is really what's driving lots of their attitude. Well, the the three drivers of the Colorado economy is energy, ag, and tourism. True. But they don't. They seem to think that it's their their job in Denver that is driving that economy. And uh, um, you know, I had a very very disturbing 
things. Uh, Rob, Bob Rankin told me something. I'm working with Bob on on some legislation to try to address the health care. Right. And one of my fellow senators, an urban uh, senator, said, if you want better prices on your health care, move to the city. Well, maybe he needs to move closer to his food. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I, was, I was in listening to some of that testimony yesterday, in fact, that, you know, we were only really talking about maybe a 2% increase to people's insurance policies to help with trying to find a better way to finance and to bring more insurance companies, at least more insurance companies, over to the side of the mountain. Boy, there is a real hesitancy to do that. Well, and, and you know, they're talking 2%, but uh, since we don't have uh, um, any uh, competition, you know, in 14 counties in western Colorado, we only have one provider. Right. Uh, that's called a monopoly. That's not called insurance. And, you know, when uh, uh, you have people that uh, uh, their insurance costs, uh, if they're above the limit to get a subsidy, um, which is, I think, $65,000 or something like that. Talk to some people that I think their income is $67,000. But their insurance cost, by the time they take their out-of-pocket uh, and their copay, is uh, 40000 of their $67,000 that they're making. If something happened to them. If something, yeah. Well, they're, I mean, they're paying almost $3,000 a month already. Right, so that's $36,000. Yeah, 36, and then you take another $5,400 uh, uh, out of pocket before you get into into copay. Well, you know, and that's the kind of thing that um, you know, folks over on the eastern slope, you know, the front range, they can shop. They can find four, five, six, ten different insurance companies to buy health insurance from. But like you say, we have one in this district. And um, the competition is how fast can we raise the rate? Well, yeah, and, and, and you know, we've been double-digit in, uh, increases each and every year. Um, I think this year was uh, somewhere in the 30% over last year. Right. Well, you know, we've got, we know guys that can't get insurance because of whatever the system is. They just don't, they don't take their application or say, no, you don't qualify. Even for some of these subsidized plans, it's, it's, a, it's an absolute maze to try to find insurance for a family that stands on its own. Right. You know, an individual buying insurance today is just about out of the market. And yeah, if you're not on a group plan somewhere, you're uh, you're in trouble. Well, that's one of the things we're trying to do over there. Um, Dylan Roberts, a representative from um, Eagle Vale, he and I are on a on a study committee. I think you're sponsoring it through the through the Senate, to where we can figure out is there some way that maybe we can create groups of insurance. Uh, that you know, for example, if you're in the if you're in the same electrical company, or if you're in that kind of thing that you have in common with people, that you might be able to create a group and start trying to help some of these individuals that are trying to buy it on their own, because it's not going to be long before they can't buy it. Well, that's true, and and you know, it's it's um, it's nice to see rural legislators try to address the situation, but trying to sell it to the urban person who doesn't understand doesn't have the problem and probably don't care it's a tough tough sale it is a tough sale you know it's just like with some of the things that we try to do in regards to you know trying to open the hemp market trying to open up so that people can grow hemp and those kind of things and you've got big companies that really would like to put a block on oh no you guys don't need to do that we'll handle it we'll do it from the we'll do it from the uh, pharmacy or we'll do it from you know, from a laboratory somewhere. I, it worries me because these urban legislators are the ones that carry these kind of bills that will block somebody from having a new crop with no question in their mind about what they just did. It's surprising, and it's very hard to explain to them because they just they don't get it. They've they never run a shovel, it. ever. No. And they don't understand what it takes to coax a living up out of the ground. They They've had an office job their whole life. Um, everything they've ever needed was provided by their employer, insurance, income, all of those things. And when you get out here, like we talked earlier, you have to be kind of self-sufficient in order to live in western Colorado, regardless if you got a good job or not. 
you kind of got to be able to take care of yourself. Well, you and I have both lived through enough times in, in the Young Capagra Valley that we could actually probably started filming Survivor 70 years ago. <laughs> That's true. Yeah, we've, we've been... We've been punched in the belly a number of times over here on this side of the mountain, you know. So ever since we, ever since sugar beets left this valley, we've needed a dominant crop and uh, just couldn't find one. Well, we had the barley situation, too. We had the well, sugar beets, we had the barley, we had lots, lots of things that really um, made our farmers adapt. And uh, uh, this, this situation you're talking about, maybe it's just another crop to adapt to. Well, that's kind of what I'm hoping for. I'm hoping that hemp will end up being something that every grower in the community would, could grow if he decided he wanted to, whether it be for fiber or for oil or however. Because what you told me, there's 25,000 different products can be made from hemp. That's correct. Boy, I'm sure we could find a niche in there someplace. With that well, and, and I, I think that is the... Uh, going to be the situation that uh, that we're going to have to do is we're going to find that niche that that uh, that fits us I was uh, I thought I found a great niche for uh, southeastern Colorado mentioning the sugar beets um, um, you know I think that's a, a hemp is a great uh, possibility in northeast Colorado because you got those sugar beets plants out there and uh, through the processing the residuals left over from the uh, from the processing is 50 percent lime well, is that right? Yeah, that's uh, and uh, that's a waste pile for them, but that's one of the key, key essentials for making hempcrete. Well, there you go. So, in other words, the sugar beet farmers might be able to help the hemp growers and the hemp growers and um, making hempcrete out of their byproduct and have a great alternative crop. Yeah, I. Uh, well, it's just like we talk about. You know, it seems like you and I talk more on the radio. Than we do when we're in Denver, because we're only 100 feet apart, but we never see one another. Well, I probably don't see you an hour a week over there. No, no, we don't. We don't see each other an hour a week. But, you know, those are the kind of things that I've, I've got a lot of, um, I've got a lot of enthusiasm for that hemp crop. I think that it's got some potential for people that, um, you know, that are looking for a crop, looking for a way to stay in, you know, to stay on the farm. You know, when we talk about hempcrete, um, can you run me through that a little bit so I know for sure, and so the listeners might understand? Well, it, it's a product that that is used. It's it's somewhat like uh, concrete, only uh, it's stronger. Um, it's fireproof. Uh, uh, hempcrete can be used for uh, foundations. It can be used used for blocks. Um, you can make insulation. Uh, there's just a once again, find the niche that you want to fill and uh, and go from there. So, so is that something that you could use like um, wallboard and all those kind of things too? Huh? Well, I I don't think the wallboard. The wallboard is more the fiber, um, okay, um, and the the stock itself. But uh, uh, the limestone is is the one that fits. Uh, it's uh, it's very strong. Um, you know, one of the things if you're talking the fiber again. Uh, uh, I look at the Denver market, and they get, uh, or the metropolitan area, they get all those tremendous hailstorms. Um, uh, you can make a, a tile out of uh, uh, out of the hemp fibers that is about three sixteenths of an inch thick, uh, lightweight, uh, fireproof, and uh, has a twelve hundred pound psi breaking point. Wow. Well, so, that's one of the reasons, right there. That's one of the reasons we ought to pursue it as a state. And I know that you've been heavily involved with that, and I appreciate the efforts that you've put in on it. It's um, It does have potential. We need to look towards the future. And I think that's maybe one of the things I see about rural legislators. They're looking at the future, where a lot of the urbanites are looking at it right now today, right now today. I want this right now today. And it doesn't work that way. Well, I, I think the metropolitan areas is more worried about what the draft is going on in the NFL this weekend than, <laughs> than they are about jobs and, and uh, the future. Well, I, I agree with that. So you've had, you've had a very successful session. You passed a number of bills that I think are that make a big difference. Where are we on regards, and I want to remind the listeners that it was Don Corum that brought forward the uh, broadband bill, uh, Senate Bill Number 2. Um, he moved that through, and the uh, Senate Bill number one still languishing back in the House of, Rep- in the House of Representatives. 
So Senate Bill 2, we're going to put some money into broadband. Is everything moving forward with that look like it's going to happen? Um, it's um, it's done. We're uh, ready to roll. And, uh, you know, the, the grant situation will start working out. And, uh, um, you know, it was it was a heavy lift getting that past the the big dog, CenturyLink, who uh, got millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of subbies through the high-cost fund. And we have repurposed that into... Uh, broadband over a five-year but we starting out with 60 percent uh, uh the first year and um uh 10 percent uh for there and then uh, it, hopefully it'll be uh able to stand on its own well i think it will stand on its own there's a lot of people that are excited excited about it in rural colorado i've had conversations with the southeast i've had them with the southwest folks up in the northwest are really anxious and uh I would imagine out in that northeast part of the state, they're looking forward to it, too. Well, I don't think there's a th- single th- a thing that we could have done that will create more job creation than, than that, that that bill. I think that is the probably uh, probably will create more jobs in rural Colorado than uh, anything that's ever come along in the eight years that I've been there. Well, you're probably right with that because, you know, we're not just talking about direct jobs that are attached to the Internet, but the people that are hiring people are attached to the internet and if they can get to the world market it will be a much better business for them so I think uh, in a lot of ways you've created a lot of jobs that you may never realize how many jobs were created by doing that well I think uh, that I think uh, you know in education I think it's going to be a huge factor Uh, telehealth uh, you know we've talked about telehealth and you know, if you can um, use that service and be in direct communication with uh, a specialist uh, in Houston, uh, right. you know, the situation you've been in right. uh, from right here in Montrose, uh, I think that's huge. Well, you know, uh, school safety has been is on everybody's mind. And, um, you know, schools, education is on a lot of people's minds. I'm proud of this year's session in regards to what the legislature has done in regards to school safety and schools in general. That School Safety Act, that uh, Safer Schools, I think is the name of it, came through the Senate and um, looks like it's going to come uh, full circle and get to the governor's office. So that's one where you put radios in, the, in these uh, schools and they can talk directly to first, pro, uh, first responders and, uh, you know, take some time off of how long um, how long response times are? That's that's a good piece of legislation. Well, I, I think that's I think that's a great piece of legislation. Uh, I ran that after talking to some uh, first responders down in Durango, and and you know we kind of feel sorry for ourselves here that sometimes we're on the outside, but uh, in Southern Colorado they they don't even get Colorado TV; they get Albuquerque TV. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, when they put the, a lot of the communication systems in several years ago, they ran out of money before they got to southwest Colorado. And um, so I think this is just another piece in there that will certainly help that. And, and I know you and uh, Senator or Representative McLaughlin, uh, District 5859 and Senate District 6, that is all the, leg- the, the power behind the, this bill. And uh, came through uh, 35-0 in, this, in the Senate, uh, and I know you're doing a great job with it over there. Yeah, it's past the, it's past the House, and uh, it should be, um, should be on its way. I think all you got to do is concur with some of the things that, uh, little things that we changed a little bit. Well, that actually happened about uh, noon yesterday, so, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess the question is, is, um, uh, is, it go- is the bill going to be signed uh, in Denver, or is it going to be signed in Southwest Colorado? That's, uh, <laughs> that's the question uh, that... Uh, that's the only question left. Huh? That's the only question left, yeah. Well, that would be a good day for everybody. I, uh, you know, I was happy to be on that bill and help with, get through the House of Representatives. You know, I, um, I know that you, you, you carry a lot of bills. I, uh, I'm always impressed with the number of, of legislation that you carry, and I uh, wanted to talk about that. How many bills have you carried this year? You know, I don't know. Jay Paul told me... Um, a week ago that uh that bills that was in he said you actually leading the state in number of bills even <laughs> ab- above jbc and it i think it was a 61 at that time and i know there's been some assigned because you guys over there in the house are still putting out late bills 
Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, I have a, so I think some of them have some merit, and I have signed on to them. So um, I'm probably going to be crowding somewhere around 70 bills uh, for the session. Um, that is above the five bill limit. I, uh, I admit. Somewhat above it. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. I'm above that now too. You're above yeah. that too. Yeah, uh, so, you, know, you know, I know it's. Uh, you've done a great job because uh, uh, I have. Uh, I've heard people talk about uh, uh, bills that I'm not on you with. With uh, that I'm not with you on. Um, that uh, you know we talked to Catlin and this is a good bill and uh, it's coming over. So and so in the Senate is carrying it, but will you help us get it through? Because uh, Representative Catlin has done a great job of getting this moving forward. So uh, you've had a you've had a pretty darn good year yourself. Um, but in the Senate, you got to remember there's half the number. Yeah. Uh, so, um, you know, I've had the ability to have that relationship in the house for six years. Uh, so I had a lot of friends over there. So, uh, I kind of became the go-to guy just because of the relationships. Well, it is about that relationships. Built. That's one of the things that I'm beginning to realize is that it's about the relationships you have with your colleagues in, in the house of representatives. Uh, Sometimes you have, well, in my case, you've got to go and get party members from the other side, put them on the bill with you so that you can move them. And uh, that seems to be the way it, maybe it ought to be. Well, I think that's true because uh, in reality, uh, with a with a split uh, house controlled by the Democrats, uh, Senate uh, with a one-vote margin uh, controlled by the Republican, every single bill that we put out has to be a bipartisan bill. It certainly does. That's because if you don't get uh, the, you as a House Democrat, you can run any bill you want. But if you can't, if you can't bring a Senate Republican along with you, it's not going to pass. Right, and Senate bill comes and same, same way. Same way in the uh, Senate. Uh, I could run. Uh, you could run every eighteen seventeen bill you want out of the Senate. But if you don't get uh, some Democrats with you on board, it's not going to pass, and then the governor is not going to ever see it. So. Um, I think uh, Colorado is actually very fortunate because we we are a bipartisan uh, legislation. Uh, we have to work together, or it doesn't work. True, and you know the, one of the things that I'm that I'm learning as we go along. Colorado is very special, is that every bill gets a hearing. Nobody can pocket it. Nobody can keep it from coming forward. If you make a if you write a bill, then it's got to have its hearings, and that. That's something that I appreciate because, you know, one part of the dysfunction in D.C. might be the fact, that, oh, I don't want to hear that bill. I'm not going to hear that this year. Well, that doesn't happen in Colorado. That doesn't happen, and probably the most special thing about Colorado is in our Constitution we have a balanced budget. That is we have deal. to balance our budget. We cannot spend more money than we have. Well, and that's true. You know, and there's, there's a lot of wrangling goes on about the budget, but at the at the at the end of that wrangling it has to balance that's the first thing that the legislation the legislature has to do is balance the budget right and uh, you know that's helped color and, and a lot of ways. you know we have the joint budget committee that takes the governor's budget and they tweak it and they go back and forth but we actually have uh, opportunities ourselves to to move some of that funding around and one of the things that we were able to move around to going back to school safety is is we put another 30 million dollars into school safety this year right uh you know we put uh we put money into education that we haven't been able to put into for several years because the the colorado economy is strong right now but uh uh, we need to we need to make sure that we we do the things now that we can afford to do that maybe five years later down the road we cannot afford to do because two things never last and uh, and that's good times and bad. That's true. This too shall pass, regardless. And uh, you know, I, uh, I I am proud of the fact that we put a lot of money back into Colorado education that they hadn't been able to do, or you know, those kind of things. Uh, you know, we. One of the things I think a lot of people forget is that the school boards, your local school boards, are the people who are driving the budget for the local schools. They, they're the people who decide how much they're going to pay the teachers and all those things. 
and uh, the legislature can move money towards schools, but how it gets spent particularly is pretty much to the up to left up to the local people. Well, yeah, because how the education system works in Colorado and, and the uh, y- you know, figures don't lie, but liars figure. Yeah, my dad um, says that. They'll tell you, well, Colorado is not spending X amount. Of, they're only spending this on education. Well, yes, that is what the state is spending. Correct. Uh, and other states are spending more. Other states are spending less. Um, but uh, it's done by a cost per pupil. Uh, you take the local tax base, and this is the cost. And then what it takes to bring you to that stu- student level is backfilled by the state of Colorado. Well, and that's yeah, that's that's a that's a good explanation exactly how this system works because some of the people in some of the counties in our district they don't have a, a large mill levy, they don't have a large tax base to begin with. You know, uh, Dolores County I think is eighty three percent federally owned. Well, in order to run their schools and everything, they've got a lot of expenses that come out of the small pieces of the small part of private property they've got in order to tax it. So the state does help those schools. Think about Hensdale County, that's 99% right. uh, federal lands. Yeah, I spoke to one of their county commissioners, and he, he reminded me that they were right up there in the 97% or something. Yeah. You know, and, and uh, thankfully, there's not a lot of people there because they don't demand a lot of services but yet there are still services that have to be generated by local poli- by by local tax money and school is one and school is one of them yeah. it's a, you know so I, I think that a lot of people get stirred up wound up about watching television or watching you know um, people in a protest and sometimes a, a lot of times Protesters are not sure what they're really protesting. It's just a whole lot of fun to go there and stand in the yard. Well, that's true. And, and you know, we had the big demonstrations this week, uh, Thursday and Friday. Right. Um, but why didn't they do this in, in March uh, when the budget was being worked on? I mean, the budget has been uh, proposed been in March. Um, the JBC uh, worked on it. They gave her answers. Uh, the, the legislature come in and... Uh, uh, approved the budget. The governor signed the budget. And why do you come in a month later to protest what the budget is? Why weren't you out there in in March? Well, yeah, well, the weather's wasn't quite as good in March. Probably. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, I, I agree with that. I uh, education is important to every person in that legislature. I know that they're doing everything that they can. You know, just like you said earlier, thirty million dollars for for school safety and that didn't happen after florida that was happening before florida and uh, you know the school safe bill you told me the story about while you were taking testimony on that bill to make a radio transmission between the school districts and the police departments and the fire departments and all those while you were taking testimony that day that's the day that parkland florida happened that was happening at the time you took you were having a hearing on that bill now that tells me that somebody in the state of Colorado was already thinking about it it's not a knee jerk that we decide well we better do something no this was already thought about and already being talked about trying to bring legislation to help these kids and to protect these kids in the state of Colorado and and that's true and um, you know um, some of the people that are on the committee um, Senator Neville, as example, is probably the tightest person you'll ever meet as far as well, conservative conservatives, fiscal, yeah. uh, you know, maybe over conservative on some of the issues. Uh, but, um, you know, he jumped on to this. And uh, when he started talking, I knew I had the bill done. I mean, it was it was when when I have that man convinced, you're I know I've got it done. Yeah. You're on your way. Yeah. I've, I've got it done. And, uh, you know, it was uh, it was. Um, I thought it might be a heavy lift. I really did. But to to bring this out and people understand that we have to protect our schools. Uh, we need to harden the targets. Right. You know, we need to, there's a lot of things that we can do for school safety. And then we put another $30 million through the, uh, through the amendments in the budget 
uh, towards school safety, uh, resource officers, um, better security, uh, a lot of things that we can do. And, and that's a one-time deal this year because we don't know where our budget's going to be next year. But $30 million in, will certainly help. And uh, uh, in going back to what happened in Parkland, Florida, realizing that this young, sick, evil person uh, knew the school, knew the system, pulled the fire alarm knowing that the escape route was going to come to him. Yeah. With this radio communications, um, uh, they would have gone the other direction. Well, and, you know, that's the thing. And, you know, when we talk about how much money, the, this this piece of legislation brings, what, $5 million for six years to, uh, to local schools on grants that uh, the schools can apply for and get hooked up with the software and all the things, regardless of how, what kind of radios the, the, the police and everybody uses, um, all they need to do is be able to hook through the 911 system at one time, just one time. Yep. Then the responders turn on that radio channel, and that channel is now saved for this incident. And that's that's going to save the, a lot the, of time. The janitor down the hall will have a, a direct communication with the first responder. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, in Parkland, uh, you know, the the officers waited outside because they didn't know the situation. I mean, if, uh, I mean, it wasn't that. That's the. I mean, that was a perfect storm for for doing everything wrong. It certainly was. But you know, that's one of the things I was proud of when I was sitting there during the budget hearings and all those kind of things, is people were not arguing whether or not we should do it. It was how much should we put in, how much can we afford to put in, those kind of questions. Not whether it was a yes or a no, but how can we help the most. And that was a, uh, that was a lifter for me. That helped lift my spirit some because I realized then we're not going to be just talking about yes or no, are we going to do it or not. The decision had been made, we're going to do it. But how are we going to go about doing that? And I'm proud of the way they put it together. Well, I, I thank you. And I know you you did a lot of work in the house on that. And uh, I may not see you over there much, but I keep track of you. <laughs> yeah, right. You got your spies everywhere. I know that. I do. I have I have a few spies over there. <laughs> yeah. I, I pretty well know what's going on in that building. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's true. <clears throat> I, um, I wanted to talk a little bit quickly about about forests and you know i had a guest last week in regards to forest health we had uh, joe duda the secretary uh, the deputy forester for the state of colorado colorado seems to be moving towards trying to be proactive about some of the things that we can do in our forests do you feel a shift in the community as to wanting to do something about the forest now rather than leave them alone? Oh, I, I think there's definitely uh, there's definitely a, a change of attitude. Um, you know, we've always had a great relationship with our U.S. Forest Service local guys. Yeah, we have. Um, and because they're people that's that live in the community and there's boots on the ground and they understand. The problem has always come from from D.C. that uh, well, no, this is this is what we need to do. And and uh, but the philosophy has changed that uh, uh, you know we basically had sixty to seventy years of of failure at the federal level on how to manage our force. Um, you know, so we ended up with six million acres of dead trees. Um, which has also affected our climate. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, so, uh, but uh, you know, I think uh, there was an article last week about the local sawmill that's investing millions, and millions of dollars to revamp because, frankly, the the shelf life of those dead trees from the beetle kill is at its end. So that product is near. Um, no value as far as lumber. So the only uh, probably other operation that we're looking is maybe try to put in some kind of a biomass plant uh, that we can utilize those products. Won't have the value of timber, but no. we still got to get them out of the forest and, and grow that new forest. Well, that's what I heard last week was that's what we're, you know, we're starting to look forward to that. I know that um, I think a lot of the logs that are going to be in that expansion are coming from Dolores County, down there in in uh, the in the pine forest. Evidently, mm -hmm. that there's a roundhead beetle down there now. I mean, the the list of bugs is incredible. 
it, it, you can't believe how many bugs live on our forests. But when those trees get stressed, then the bug can get to them. But we're now going to go down and start removing some of that timber and getting it out of there. Well, getting it out of there. And I remember, Mark, way back in the 70s, I went to a, a thing here in town. They had a forestry professor from uh, northern Arizona uh described exactly what is going to be happening here because he said you have too many trees uh, for the amount of moisture that you have so you will stress the trees the beetle has always been around uh, this is not a new species no, by any chance here, no. um, but a healthy tree will will produce enough pitch to to pitch that that beetle out when it gets stressed it can't produce the 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 pitch uh, then that's when the uh, and the beetle can then go ahead and invade, and invade. the tree can't sap it out of there and push him out and poison him. That's correct. Well, you can certainly see that. Um, you know, I've, 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 been impre- I've been worried about there are so many trees in our forest that are exactly the same size that they all came together. They started growing, like you said, in the 70s. And now they're at about maybe 8 to 10 inches around, but there's not enough moisture, there's not enough nutrient, there's nothing. They start getting sick, and there they are. They start impacting and influencing and, and infecting the trees around them. Well, maybe, you know, I think we have probably 20 times the amount of trees uh, out there that, that we can actually sustain a healthy forest. How did, uh, how did that uh, happen before we were here? It was fires. Fire. Uh, and the big trees would, uh, would survive, and, the, and uh, the little ones would burn off. Well, and we haven't allowed that to happen. You know, we've suppressed fire for so long. Yeah, that, we suppressed uh, fires. We did. I mean, we, you know, I had a, a friend who had a dog. She loved this dog so much that she gave it chocolate every day. And the dog died of diabetes. She loved the dog to death. Good. Well, we've done And that. that's exactly what we've done with our forest. We have loved our forest to the point of killing it. Well, I agree with that. You know, diversions wouldn't be diversions if we didn't talk about water a little bit. So I, I want to talk to you about the the drought. You know, it looks to me like we're going to suffer a pretty serious drought this year in all of our district. The southwest part of the state of Colorado is really dry. Um, um, the Dolores watershed is something at about 31% of, of average moisture. And that's not a lot of moisture. Their 100% is not nearly enough to keep everything going down there it's going to be a tough year for everybody yeah i'm talking to i was down in uh in bayfield uh, or ignacio uh last saturday at the cattlemen's association banquet and uh, they were saying that they're probably their irrigation season is probably over in july boy you know that's just just knowing that i that's really a tough thing for anybody but you know one of the things about this drought is that the state of California and the state of Arizona and the state of Nevada and all these folks are looking at us thinking, well, you guys shouldn't use your water. We need it a lot worse than you do down through the Colorado River. And now, the, you know, the Colorado River Compact um, still is the document that everybody lives by. And um, I'm seeing more pressure from lower basin states. They'd really like to re-talk about that, and that's something... The state of Colorado cannot stand to do. Well, all. we would totally lose that one. Uh, well, I got a call coming in, so we'll take that right away and see. Good morning. Welcome to Diversions. You're on the air. You're on the air. Well, you were on the air. I don't know if you're still there. Are you there? Maybe they hung up. All right. <laughs> but in regards to the Colorado River District, the River Compact, that worked at the time we put it together and the only difference that's happening right now is the state of colorado or the state of california believes that they should have at least a million acre feet of water more than what they're getting but in reality they are getting it that's the reason that lake mead is going down so rapidly is they won't lay off and continue to use it as though it's an an endless bucket I, i don't understand every year they've taken more than their allocation uh, you know, from the time the compact was started in the 20s. Right. Um, had they stayed within their compact, uh, Lake Mead, Lake Powell would both be full. Well, there'd be a lot more water in there than there is right now, that's for sure. We're going to try this again. Good morning. Welcome to the air. You're on Diversions. I'm not getting him. 
Hello, you're on the air. Hello. Hey, there you are. Hey, thank you. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, hey, got a real quick um, comment. I've lived on the Western Slope for a number of years and also the Front Range, and uh, I've got kind of a far-fetched idea that I don't think anybody's talking about. Okay, well, let's hear it. Well, what does the Missouri River have that they don't want that we need? They need the they got more water than they want. That's true. Actually, that yeah. conversation has been going on for quite a while. It, uh, I know there's people that are that are working on that, um, but uh, you know you've uh, you've got to talk about something called uh, environmental impacts, and uh, you know these these they've been people working on this. Uh, the northern uh, uh, pipeline integrated process. Uh, Dam construction has been under one of those environmental studies for 18 years. So uh, there are people that are actually talking about uh, uh, working that. I know the state of Kansas has been very involved with that, and uh, uh, along with some people in in Colorado. So it is uh, it is being looked at. Uh, it's uh, hasn't got a lot of press. No, but uh, it is something that's being studied. So thank yeah, you for bringing that talking. up. Yeah. We've been talking about that for 40 years. Yeah. Uh, we knew that Colorado Springs had nowhere to go except north and south, likewise Denver, and we knew that if we could put the airports out east in a north-south line and forget I-25 and make a high-speed corridor out there out east heading north and south, we'd sure solve a lot of those problems. And then with the Missouri... Uh, transplant of the water, we certainly could uh, keep those guys from robbing all of our water over <laughs> here on the western slope. Yeah, well, I agree with you. We'll uh, we'll take that back to Denver with us, and we'll start talking about it a little there bit more. Go. All right, guy. Have a good day. Thank you for calling in. Well, it's always nice to have people listening out there, and, uh, you know, I appreciate the idea that Probably the right answers for the future are going to come from so far out in left field that you won't recognize them until they're there. And uh, that's the kind of thing that I think we're probably going to be looking at. Well, actually, you, you led a, uh, the, the charge on a, a very important issue that uh, was passed, and that's uh, underground aquifer storage. You know, <laughs> you got that bill through me in good shape, and, uh, and I got it through. So, uh, you know, that's one of the things that we can do is actually put more water into the aquifer because uh, that uh, those those aquifers are by far our largest storage uh, vessels. Well, that's true. It seemed to me like we needed to be starting to think about places we can put water if we're not going to build reservoirs, and it takes so long to build them. Let's put some in these aquifers because we know they will hold water, and we know that they don't evaporate, and they don't leak, and the other good thing about them is you can't steal water out of them. So. Well, that's true, and, and I guess maybe that's why, because I know some of your main opposition was coming from the people who would actually benefit it the most. Yeah, I was surprised by that. But, you know, I sometimes people, if they think of something new and different, it's the first thing is no. I got a feeling they'll really appreciate that after they've uh, stored some water there for a while. Well, you did a great job on that, and I want to thank you because that will save Western Slope water. Well, I think it will too. Thank you, thank you very much. You know, I, I wanted to I want to remind you that uh, we've jumped into the modern era. Diversions has a radio site, or they have a we have a. a if you want to contact us, it's at diversionsradio.com. So if you want to send me an email, you can send it to Mark Catlin at diversionsradio.com. That uh, website was just up and running, and uh, my my son is in charge. He's my webmaster, and uh, he's doing a great job with it over there in Denver. He's uh, He monitors that. So if you've got something you'd like to talk about or a question you'd like to have answered on the air, send it to that site. Um, I want to remind you that Americans are extraordinary people. Stand firm. Stand strong. Use the rights that you've been given, not by another man, but by the great creator. Thank you. Good day. Have a great one.